listening to Televisionary, the podcast about the shows that shaped us. In this episode, we take you through the history, key moments, and lasting impact of I Love Lucy, with a few detours along the way. Especially in the 50s, people were pregnant. For all of the Gen Z listeners, film strips were physically cut and pasted back together. This was what I found on Wikipedia. Welcome to Televisionary, the podcast where we discuss the shows that shape us. Shaped us. We're going with shaped on that, right? Yes, shaped us. I mean, these shows do continue to shape us. They do. Most of them, I guess. But I feel like we're looking more reflectively. Yeah, I guess we've never done a show that's still on the air. We did American Idol, went off the air and came back. Mm, Yeah. So. Well, okay, never mind. (laughs) It's okay. You just forgot. I'm Elena Hillard. And I'm Cody Hoffman. And we are talking today about one of the, maybe the most influential television show of all time, in my opinion. I don't know what your opinion is, Elena. No, I definitely think that's fair. What's the name of the show? (laughs) So today we are going to be covering I Love Lucy. And at this point in the show, if... You listened to our American Idol episode. I wanted to start humming the theme song of American Idol uh, when we announced the title, but I wasn't sure if we were legally allowed. And we looked into it, and we still aren't sure what the rules are regarding (laughs) the humming of a song. So I'm just going to hum the I Love Lucy theme song because I feel like it. And if we find out later that I am not legally allowed to do that, you're just going to hear a very long period of silence. So, either enjoy my humming or enjoy this silence. Bravo. Thank you. I feel like that really added a lot to our show here. I agree. I was also going to say if there are any lawyers listening who maybe have a real answer about this, feel free to message us on our Instagram, which is Televisionary Podcast. That's our name. Correct. (laughs) Yes. All one word. All one word. No underscores. No. So I grew up watching reruns of I Love Lucy, as I feel most people with cable did. It just always seemed to be on somewhere. I also sat down and watched all of it on, I don't remember which streaming service, had it a couple of years ago. But anyway, I have watched the entire thing. And Elena has not. I have not. I have always avoided watching it. Even as a child, I found it extremely (laughs) off-putting. I don't generally like black and white, which I think is part of the problem. And I know they've colorized some episodes over, you know, the past 60, 70 years, I guess, now. But yeah, in preparation for this episode, I did try to watch at least clips or... I watched a few of the big episodes, but I mostly just watched clips from the show or like compilations of the best physical comedy moments and all of that. And I gotta say, even though I don't love 
the show itself, this has been my favorite show to research because there's just so much that it did, even with the technology behind making the show that makes it incredibly interesting to learn about. Yeah, absolutely. I think most people probably have no idea the innovation that went into the show and the way that it really transformed the entire way television was made and the way that television was viewed by the way television was perceived, not necessarily viewed as in watched, <laughs> but perceived by an audience. So we are going to get into all of that stuff today. And yeah, it's exciting to be talking about a show with so much history. Absolutely. So let's get into a little of that history now. I Love Lucy ran for six seasons on CBS. It debuted on October 15th, 1951. So this, we're recording this in 2021. Of course, for those listeners, you know, who 40 years from now are still listening to our <laughs> podcast. So 70 years. That just seems crazy that something created 70 years ago is still so readily available. Yeah. Like a television show. I know. It's it's never stopped like no. being a part of the culture at all. Mm -hmm. The show aired 180 episodes and concluded its run on May 6th, 1957. One thing that I found interesting is the show aired 180 episodes in six seasons. So average of 30 episodes per season. The actual episode totals ranged from 26 to 35. And I just, it struck me how big of a difference that is from television shows today. Because most shows, with the exception of some on broadcast networks, air like six or eight to 13 episodes yeah. per season and still don't come anywhere close to the level of humor or quality of writing that I Love Lucy has, in my opinion, not necessarily in Elena's. <laughs> but it just made me think, were the creators, stars, writers of I Love Lucy immeasurably gifted and they just created this perfect storm that allowed them to churn out quality material so consistently? Or are today's actors and writers just lazy? <laughs> or are they sort of victims of the expectations that television today has set. I love this question because I think there's a lot to unpack here. I mean, I think that the show itself hit at a really special time in sort of the TV medium, establishing essentially the TV medium as like a big part of American culture. And so I think that the people that made the show were really, really focused on pushing the medium forward. There were a lot of great minds behind the show, people who were business minded and could see that technology needed to change to kind of grow this industry. But I think today there's a similar kind of push happening, but it, I mean, it's very different than back then. I feel like with me, everything comes back to streaming. And so I'm kind of sick of always bringing it up. But the way people consume TV today is so different. You know, things aren't really aired week to week in the way that they used to. A lot of streaming services will release an entire season in one day and then people binge watch it. So I think that the sort of span of time that a show is popular is shortened. And I think that streaming services feel this need to just constantly be pumping out new content because if they're not, people are going to forget about the show that was popular last week. And if you don't replace it with something else that no one's going to want to watch 
your streaming service anymore. So I think that that's kind of a part of it. Like shorten the season, pump stuff out more quickly, keep people watching your platform. It's maybe less about the show itself. And then I just think like logistically, I Love Lucy was shot on a on a set that was almost, you know, exclusively the same from week to week and to shows today will shoot multiple locations. So shooting 26 or 35 episodes when you're shooting in like such a dynamic world like the shows of today would be impossible. So th- I don't know. I had a lot of thoughts about it. I hope that made sense to you. <laughs> no, I think that does make sense. Like the production element of television these days, I think is so much more involved than it was back then, even though they were really pioneering so many different techniques for filming a television show on I Love Lucy. Today, audiences just have this expectation for a certain level of quality in a television show. And I think that it would seem lazy to audiences if there was just, you know, three sets, if there was a bedroom, a living room, and a kitchen, where all of the action took place episode after episode. When Isle of Lucy was airing, they could kind of do any idea that they wanted because there was not a whole lot that the audience had seen yet on television, (laughs) it being such (laughs) a nascent medium. And today, there's basically nothing that hasn't been seen on television. So if a show is really trying to think outside of the box and trying to not, you know, just exclusively borrow or repeat things that have been done on other shows, it's really going to be challenging. It it would be basically impossible to do 35 episodes in a season, no matter how much time that season was spread out over, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So I Love Lucy was one of the first scripted television shows to be shot on 35mm film in front of a studio audience. And it was also one of the first multi-camera shows to shoot on film. This was kind of a bit of a a hard thing for them to negotiate at first. The cost of shooting on 35 millimeter film, the cost of having multiple cameras, it really it really scared the network and also the sponsor of the show, which was Philip Morris at the time. So basically, Lucy and Desi negotiated at this point. They took a pay cut. They said, we'll each get paid $1,000 less if you guys will give us the money to shoot it the way we want to shoot it. And also around this time, I think during this specific negotiation, is when Lucy and Desi were able to negotiate for 80% ownership of all of the I Love Lucy films. So they ended up owning almost all of the rights to the actual like film strips themselves, which I think financially ended up being a really, really good deal that they struck. I think it's important to note that Lucy and Desi weren't just wanting to shoot the show on film as like an artistic choice. They did it because they didn't want to move to New York. At the time, New York City was the center of television production because basically all television was live, was shot live and broadcast across the country. Or if you were on the West Coast or in the mountain time zone, they would record a live airing on something called a kinescope. And that's what they would broadcast then on the West Coast. So there was basically no television production being done in Los Angeles because it would have been so late on the East Coast. And there wasn't a, you know, there was a method to go from New York to LA, but not from LA to New York. It just wasn't feasible. But Lucy and Desi, when they 
set out to make this show did not want to uproot their new family because Lucy was pregnant at the time that they filmed the first episode of I Love Lucy. They wanted to film the show in Los Angeles and actually film it, (laughs) you know, not just broadcast it. But they knew that Lucy was going to have to take some time off for maternity leave and that the only way to feasibly do the show would be to record a bunch and have them kind of stockpiled so that they could air them later on without interruption. So it's it's kind of an accident. <laughs> you know, it wasn't intentional really for them to create this new method of television production but it stuck you know once it was seen as being successful all of these different shows started to you know follow that pattern and i i think that's just really interesting and there are a couple of different things with i love lucy that kind of that weren't meant to go a certain way like they weren't doing it trying to revolutionize anything but they did it because that was what was convenient or what that's what was going to work the best for them and it just ended up sticking and other shows replicated it and had success with it too and it just totally changed the industry i mean even with this point of them producing in hollywood or you know california it's maybe even another way in which the show completely changed TV because I think having a show that was as successful and huge as I Love Lucy is probably part of the reason why more and more shows began to be produced on the West Coast versus the East Coast. And that could be partially because of I Love Lucy. Another interesting tidbit about this, one of those things, again, that sort of happened, I wouldn't say it happened by accident, but it ended up having sort of unintended consequences. CBS required Lucy and Desi to produce the show themselves because union agreements at the time stated that any production that was filmed in a film studio had to use film studio employees. And most television shows were not broadcast from film studios, but I Love Lucy was so that they could fit in a full studio audience. So since CBS staff or television and radio employees, and thus fell under different union agreements, Desi Arnaz reorganized his production company, that, or I guess it wasn't a production company at the time, but it was the company that he had created to manage his orchestra bookings, and he retooled that into the corporation that would produce the I Love Lucy shows, and that company was named Desi Lou. Heard of it? <laughs> And obviously that is a combination of their first names, Desi and Lucille. And Desi Lou, as we will go on to talk about a little bit later, went on to have a huge impact in both television and film. Yeah. That is felt to this day. Another, not to like completely segue away from that, because I know we're going to follow up on it later, but another way that the show sort of did something by happenstance, it was the first show to air reruns and they had to do it essentially because Lucy couldn't keep the episode commitment because she had given birth. So they decided to re-air first season episodes and it ended up being extremely popular. And so the show just continued to do it. And then now, I mean, today, anytime you turn on like a, a cable channel on TV, it's there's reruns of everything. I mean, it's such a big deal and it's such a common thing now, but it's weird to me that at one point that didn't exist and it sort of just happened because she just couldn't shoot episodes. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's one of the things with television being mostly shot live. You couldn't do reruns unless you were 
recording that, which they had the recordings, like I had said earlier, that they would broadcast on the West Coast, but those were not of very good quality, the kinescopes. So shows kind of had no choice but to just keep airing new shows every week. And with all of these episodes that were filmed, you know, the producers just kind of felt like, well, those are just sitting around. Why can't we show them again? And no one expected them to be as successful as they were, but audiences liked being able to see episodes that maybe they had missed before, or seeing one that they loved the first time and had not had the chance to see again. And it's just crazy then how much of a new facet of the industry that uncovered because now shows you know decisions are made about whether to renew a show or how many episodes to give a show based on the amount of money that can be made off of a syndication agreement for airing the reruns it unexpectedly created this whole new aspect of television production and probably would not have come into you know existence for a long time had lucille ball not needed to go on maternity leave (laughs) Another interesting thing that I hadn't really thought about, but I Love Lucy was really the first show to feature a full ensemble cast. It's a small ensemble, only four members, but up until then, shows pretty much focused on one or maybe two main characters, and all of the action, all of the plot lines always centered on them. You know, it was just about what was happening to that particular person, and we never really cared about anyone else. And having four characters that could have their own stories and Fred and Ethel's stories maybe were less essential to some of the episodes but they're still very involved in the show it probably wasn't intentional that they created these characters who could all carry stories on their own but it obviously ended up having a huge impact on other television shows that followed suit once again I guess our final point about the history of the show is just its sheer success in ratings so for four out of the six seasons it was the number one show on tv and it was the first show to end its run at number one which was only repeated two times after i love lucy right yeah only the andy griffith show and seinfeld also concluded their final seasons at number one in the nielsen ratings i think i was reading today about this and for one of the pregnancy episodes they estimate that it's like 71.7 percent of all television sets owned in the united states watched that specific episode which is crazy and will never ever happen again (laughs) no like that's that just shows how totally influential on the culture this show was like people were so invested in seeing well not even seeing but knowing that lucy was going to give birth they would never show you know anything happening on the air they will get to something else in a second here about one other thing that they couldn't even do related to her pregnancy. (laughs) That many people cared about what Lucy's fictional baby was going to be. You are so right that no other show will ever reach that level of concern from the American public. CBS wanted I Love Lucy to keep going. I mean, why wouldn't you if it's that successful? But Lucy and Desi were both just kind of getting tired of it, as were some of the other producers. Jess Oppenheimer, who is credited as the creator of the show, had left the show after season five, so it only aired one more season without him at the helm, and it 
it seems like everyone just kind of felt like it wasn't maybe the same without him and it wasn't something that they wanted to keep doing just because it was successful you know they wanted to maintain that level of integrity of the show and to continue to feel like what they were doing was really special and also they had the reruns you know that was still such a novel concept that it wasn't going to feel like the show was gone just because they stopped producing new episodes so i think that you know it made more sense to them to walk away from it go out on top Mm-hmm. All right. So we have a few little touch points of different things throughout the run of the show. Just unique things that we wanted to point out because the show has some unique things that are worth <laughs> mentioning. Yeah, I think one that always has stood out to me are, well, I guess it's two things that would seem so strange and foreign to us today, but... It was the first TV show to show a married couple's bedroom. (laughs) And also the fact that they couldn't say the word pregnant, which I think that's that's like one of the things that I've always kind of known about the show. That's like a weird fact that always goes around. But to really think about that, it's kind of bizarre. It does seem so bizarre. It's just like it's not like they're saying like sex you know Uh or something like that like it's pregnant's just like a state of being Uh uh-huh yeah like it it's so interesting to me that cbs would not allow them to say that a woman was pregnant on the air because they were afraid that it would offend somebody they didn't want to do anything that could be considered taboo or offensive. But look around in the world, especially in the 50s, people were pregnant. <laughs> like, it's not like <laughs> you could... The baby boom. Yes. Like, you could walk out your door and see any number of pregnant women, but you turn on the TV and, oh no, we can't see a pregnant woman. That would be terrible. And also, their bedroom doesn't even have a single bed. It has two separate twin-sized beds. Uh-huh. Because, <laughs> you know, if they're going to have a baby, then they each remain in their individual single beds. And then Lucy ends up pregnant. It's like whenever uh, they job switch and Ricky just shoots the toast out of the toaster. He does that from <laughs> uh-huh. his bed. What I think is especially kind of weird about the pregnancy thing is that there had been an on-screen pregnancy on TV before... That belonged to Mary Kay Stearns on Mary Kay and Johnny in the late 40s. Never heard of it. I'd never heard of it either, but this was what I found on Wikipedia. So I'm sure (laughs) it's true. Actually, I do believe it's true. CBS forced them to use the word expecting instead of pregnant. Producers wanted to show several more episodes of Lucy being pregnant than CBS would allow. And CBS made them cut down the number of episodes where they could acknowledge that Lucy was expecting. It's interesting to note too, so this pregnancy episode, it would have aired in what, 52? 52, I believe, because she gave birth right at the top of 53. So in 1952, you couldn't say pregnant on TV, but only 20 years later was the Mary Tyler Moore episode where birth control is referenced. Also, the show Maud in the 70s was the first show to have a lead character talking about her abortion. I mean, how crazy that within that 20 years, you had such a, a transformation of societal views of both, you know, just pregnancy in general, but also a woman's 
ability to take ownership of her body and to talk about her body and, you know, to talk about her choices. Lucy, the character, made the choice to get pregnant, apparently, because she got into <laughs> Ricky's bed. And, <laughs> and you know, of course, she's not allowed to talk about that. Right. But it, I think it's kind of fascinating to see what a shift there was in that 20 years but then you consider the shift that's taken place in the 50 years since then and it's even more mind-boggling the show did have some iconic moments and these are kind of the things i tracked down when i was watching clips the (laughs) vitamita vegemin the chocolate factory grape stomping loving cup stuck on head that one you you might have to give me no, you might have to give me some info on that one. <laughs> so that one was the, one of my favorites. I don't feel like it's one of the most classic episodes, but there's like a trophy. I don't know why they call it a loving cup, but it's like one of those big, you know, like if you see a cartoon representation of a trophy, it's like got the handles on the side and it's like a big bowl. Mm-hmm. They call that a loving cup. I don't know why. I had never heard that term until I saw this episode of I Love Lucy, but... um. <laughs> For some reason, Ricky was supposed to present that award to someone at his orchestra show. And Lucy, I don't remember the circumstances of it, but she got it stuck on her head, basically. <laughs> and then it was suppo- she was supposed to take it to the studio or to the theater for the show. Then she couldn't get it off of her head. So she had to make her way through New York, like the subway and everything, without being able to see and having this trophy stuck on her head. And... It was just funny, and I feel like it's one of those things that people do remember about the show, just because it's so stupid and over the top, but it like even the stupidest things on the show, I think, have a way, because of the way that Lucille Ball played them, of not seeming stupid, (laughs) of seeming somehow realistic or forgivable despite their obvious impracticalities. I also, you don't have this listed here, but I watched the part where she reveals to Ricky that she is pregnant. And I don't know if that is an iconic moment of the show. I would say so. It was really cool because I think it was one of the only pieces I've seen where she actually like wipes a tear away from her eye. Like it gets like kind of sweet and like real. And I am I know they were pregnant in real life, so I'm sure that added an element of reality to it for them but it just it felt really cool and it's funny and it's heartwarming and I don't know it was great and he sings and Mm -hmm. it was very enjoyable the show didn't really have too many of those real endearing moments which I feel like it probably could have a little bit but I think they they just had so much success with the -the over-the-top antics Mm -hmm. and the crazy slapstick that that's what they stuck with and obviously it worked but i i think that other shows came along afterward and realized hey we can do both you know maybe no one did the slapstick as well as i love lucy did but i think other shows have found that balance a little bit more between the real and relatable and the outrageous and totally implausible i guess well do you want to get into the cultural and media impact the show has had yes let's all right let's do it so as we've already stated i love lucy basically changed the entire way the television was produced and its effects continue to be felt to this day there are still many shows that follow the 
the patterns and the practices that they established. And even though television has changed a whole lot, it certainly hasn't reverted back to the way it was with everything being live. (laughs) So that change was permanent. Episodes for I Love Lucy were filmed typically in about an hour every week on Friday nights. Like, that that seems nuts. It's unreal. That they can film that 26-minute episode, maybe, Mm -hmm. in one hour. Like, they have so few minutes in between the set changes and everything but because they had the live studio audience they wanted to keep that excitement and that energy of the live performance and just treat the set changes as you know just a tiny intermission so the audience would not even get up during those times they would just sit and wait until they reset and were ready to go again they also shot the episodes totally in sequence which is not a practice that other shows carried through over the years but they felt that it was going to spoil things for the audience and that they wouldn't get the reactions that they wanted if they filmed everything that was taking place in the kitchen in that episode at once and then moved to everything in the living room and so forth. So doing it sequentially allowed them to maintain the feel of an actual half hour play. And you can hear that, I think, in the audience response. There's outrageous laughter. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. I don't think you would have gotten nearly the same reaction from them if they you know, saw Lucy and Ethel at the end of the episode eating all of the chocolates on the conveyor belt. There's something that's lost on a studio audience if there's, if they do that, you know, non-chronological filming. Right. Another benefit of shooting on film, as we've talked about them doing, uh, is that the production quality was higher. They filmed in an actual film studio. Also, other than the picture quality, I do know that with 35 millimeter film sound quality ends up being better too it has to do with essentially like the little holes along the edge of the film strip and the way that they were able to cut it together i mean at this point in time for all of the gen z listeners like film strips were physically cut and sort of pasted back together so there there's something with that that the way it's segmented the audio ends up syncing better with the picture quality which i thought was really cool i i didn't know that at all Mm -hmm. i didn't know that either thanks for sharing yeah of course (laughs) and another way that um the show revolutionized Television, as we mentioned, was the airing of reruns, which is a strategy that was adopted then by all shows that were produced by Desilu Productions. And I don't know if everyone is aware of some of the shows that were produced by Desilu, but they include Star Trek and Mission Impossible and The Untouchables, which is not nearly at the level of the other two franchises, but was still a very popular and revolutionary show in its time but star trek and mission impossible both would not exist without i love lucy because lucille ball was the lone head of desilu productions in the early 60s she bought out desi's stake in the company in 1962 after they had divorced and lucy personally oversaw the development of the original star trek series and mission impossible the television series, both of which, well, Star Trek spawned other television series and, of course, many films. Mission Impossible went on to be rebooted as a film franchise, which has been incredibly successful. Those 
shows might never have been produced if it were not for Lucille Ball having the resources in her company, Desilu, because of I Love Lucy. That's nuts. <laughs> it, it's it's completely insane. And reading about her as a businesswoman, it's interesting that from what I was reading, it, it took her a little while to feel comfortable as a businesswoman because when she was running the company with Desi, he was making a lot of the decisions and she just wanted to focus on acting. And then I I think this was sort of a pivotal moment when she like greenlit these series to be produced because the company was at sort of a not great place. It was starting to flounder a little bit. And these shows, even though they had a pretty high production cost and it was kind of risky, she said yes to them and it ended up they ended up becoming so successful and making so much money for Desilu. It's it's really cool. I don't know. I just think it's awesome that she maybe, I, I don't know, she made a big decision. Like this was huge mm-hmm. and risky and other production companies passed on these. And I don't know, she saw something and she ended up making such a huge impact Uh, Even Mm -hmm. today, you know, those shows are still so... The shows and the franchises, I guess, are still such a part of the culture. Yeah, I think she was probably unafraid to make that... Or to take that risk of developing these shows that were clearly going to be very expensive. Because with her own show, she saw how much money they were making from the reruns. And by thinking, uh, sure, these are expensive to create now, but after we've made money from them because we've aired them you know 10 15 20 or tens of thousands of times then it's going to be worth it you know it mm-hmm. if, as long as it connects with an audience right now which she was instrumental it sounds like in actually bringing the shows to the point where she knew they would be successful and you know she had a vested interest obviously as head of the company of making the of making sure they were going to connect with audiences i think she kind of approached it in a different way than a lot of other studio heads would because she had that firsthand experience with her own show she knew that if she could if she could create something that no one else was creating and do something no one else was doing then audiences were going to respond to that yeah Let's talk about some of the technological innovations. We've touched on some of these already, but the show was created during a time when television and film, really, were both still rapidly evolving and developing. I had mentioned the kinescope, uh, which was sort of a poorer quality recording. I kind of wanted to just explain briefly to anyone who doesn't know what a kinescope actually is. Yes, please do. Yeah, so basically it would be this method of recording a broadcast by aiming a camera at a video monitor as it played footage. So think about like if you try to take a video of your laptop or a picture of your laptop with your phone and how it looks so bad and the quality is really poor. That's essentially what a kinescope was doing and that was the only way that shows shot live in New York City could be broadcast to the West Coast. And so we talked about that earlier how by shooting on film and cutting it on the West Coast then it could, you know, improve quality and you don't have this sort of (laughs) just you're actually they're actually shooting it on film rather than shooting a screen that is showing what was shot on film if that makes sense that seems 
so bizarre to me even still that until I Love Lucy, probably the the average television viewer in half of the land area of the United States had never seen a television program that was not a terrible recording of just a monitor showing a television program. (laughs) I know. But I just can't imagine how their minds must have been blown when they saw I Love Lucy and were like, wow, on this four-inch television screen in my living room, these characters all look so clear in black and white. And also some of the reason why I think they were so successful at shooting on film is the fact that they hired a very well-known cinematographer to help them. This man's name was Carl Freund, and he had done cinematography for Metropolis, which is like not a good movie, but is considered (laughs) like pretty influential, I think. Uh, Mm -hmm. He also did Dracula, and he worked with them to not only use the film, but to also make sure that the three-camera setup worked successfully for them. And this is just more of like a fun fact. I don't know that shows really have to do this anymore because things aren't black and white, but he developed this whole lighting technique, which involved lighting the set very brightly to erase any shadows. It's called flat lighting. And so that way they could change scenes really quickly, which worked really well for shooting in front of a live audience. They didn't have to worry about changing camera angles or things like that. And he actually used a method of like painting shadows away called, I think he, it's something like graying things out. So they would actually paint everything gray Maybe not everything, but a lot of things gray. I know that newspapers that were shown in the TV series were altered in their color so that they looked better on film. So by having this really talented cinematographer who was able to manipulate the medium of film and of shooting with three cameras, they were able to succeed. And I just, I think that all of that stuff is fascinating. Yeah, it really is. I Love Lucy wasn't the first show to use that three-camera setup, but um, that three-camera setup was typically used just for game shows before that. Yeah. So it's not like there was a script, like it's just those three cameras were kind of following the action of the game show, because you kind of had to have, like... Multiple perspectives. Right. For a show like What's My Line, I'm thinking of, was probably on at the time, because it's a million years old. (laughs) Yeah. You had to have a camera on the host. You had to have one on the celebrity panelist and one on the contestant. So, you know, that made sense to use multiple cameras. I Love Lucy, they could have gotten away with just one camera if they really wanted to save money. (laughs) But they took the risk on making it more expensive. And again, it paid off. And it really did become the standard for quite some time. I mean, today, I think more recently, we've seen a bit of a return to sitcoms and comedies being shot on just one camera Mm -hmm. setups. But for the longest time, three cameras was the norm. And you can go to the Wikipedia page for three camera setup and read the list. It's like pretty much every major sitcom that was made from like the 50s to like the early 90s were probably three camera setups. Mm -hmm. I would argue that today, probably the single camera setup is more common for comedies. I think it is. But there's still plenty of multi-camera shows being made. It's just that the single camera style is in vogue right now. 
So not only did the show completely change the technology used to make television, it also completely changed the public's expectations of television. I think specifically the one that stands out to me is the pre-recorded versus live performance, which was before I Love Lucy, the standard. By pre-recording and using the three camera setup, you were able to get a much nicer performance. I think at, at least what I was seeing at the time, the live performances, it was like more like a play almost with the actors sort of playing to the camera. And with I Love Lucy, characters were interacting more with each other and the audience was just there watching the action. Yeah, so the audience had kind of only known what live television was like. So they weren't used to shows that had the production quality of film. You know, they were used to going to a movie theater to see that kind of quality. So that in itself is a big upgrade for them. You know, it's eye-catching and it feels, I guess, prestigious. I think there's this, this perception, especially today, of certain shows being prestige shows and certain shows not being prestige shows. And I know that I personally have been very guilty of being biased against shows that are not considered prestige shows. (laughs) But at the time, I I Love Lucy was considered a prestige show because it was eye-popping. It was something that the television audience was not used to seeing. And I think that's part of the reason for its success was whether you thought it was the most hilarious thing you had ever seen or not, it was at least something that you had not seen on television before. And that is exciting. That's something that you don't want to miss. Yeah. And as much as I don't enjoy watching the show in 2021 with having seen all of the great TV that I've seen and then watching I Love Lucy, it feels, sorry, I just knocked my earbud out. Watching I Love Lucy in 2021 feels really dated to me, but putting myself in the perspective of someone from the 50s watching it, it would have been revolutionary. Because of having multiple camera angles, I don't know, it expands the visual language of television in a really unique way. Another thing that the show changed about the public's expectations of television was that because it aired reruns, audiences now had hope of seeing a particular episode again. If they had missed the initial airing or if they loved a you know, particular episode like the Pioneer Women where they put too much yeast, I think it was, in the bread and the loaf got so big that it jutted out of the oven and expanded <laughs> the whole way across the room. And if you just laughed your head off on that then no matter how ridiculous that sounds and, you know, totally impossible, that you could watch that again one day. That's something that we take for granted so much today, Mm -hmm. especially in the world of streaming when we can just watch any episode of any show anytime we want. Audiences in the 50s before I Love Loosely did not have that luxury. They were tied to their television. I'm sure, too, that the reruns allowed audiences to connect to just the medium of television itself more. I think by watching episodes multiple times, you get more and more attached to a series and the characters, and that has to alter in some way just the way people were thinking about TV. I don't know if that makes total sense, and especially just, I mean, comparing it to today where you can rewatch anything at any time or you can binge watch a whole season in one day like the way that people 
connected to TV was already changing in the 50s, not long after like television itself was invented. It's been a slow march to now the obsession, I think, that people have with most shows. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think you're onto something about people being able to connect more to shows. Because like I said, if they missed something, uh, you know, one week because they had to stay late at work and didn't get to watch an episode, they were never going to get that opportunity back. And if it's a serialized show where if you miss something, then you're going to feel lost the next time you try to pick it back up, uh, that gives you less incentive to keep watching because you can't follow the action quite as well. Whereas if you know that there's a chance you'll catch that episode again in a few months, then maybe it'll be okay if you miss this one. I would say too, I'm going to I'm going to attempt a great transition here. Despite all of these altered expectations of television, the public didn't really alter their perspective on people of color. If I don't know if that's quite the right term, but basically what I'm trying to get out here is Desi Arnaz was a Cuban and that at the time was a huge deal and like reading about his time in Hollywood it sounds it sounds like he smiled through a lot of racism (laughs) while he was working but it's interesting to me that we have very early on in television this example of a not white leading man but it really didn't change anything I would say I I read somewhere that it wasn't until the 80s that another Cuban family or Cuban character was depicted in mainstream American television. Hmm. So it's, I'm just wondering, is it really surprising that he didn't open any more doors? Or like, did we miss an opportunity here to start creating more inclusive content earlier? I mean, I, I, I would say probably no. It's not surprising. Like, even though he was hugely successful and beloved, it's not surprising that that didn't change everything overnight. But, like, what kind of an impact did it have? And have we even addressed this inclusivity problem at all yet? Has anything really changed? Yeah, I think I I also am not surprised that his success didn't just blow open the doors for people of all minorities to succeed in Hollywood. The show is called I Love Lucy, and it centers around Lucy. You know, Desi was one of the stars of the show, but at the end of the day, people are coming for Lucy. You're not coming for Desi. (laughs) So, you know, I'm not trying to take anything away from Desi Arnaz as a performer, as an actor, but he even admitted in the book by Jess Oppenheimer that I wrote, that I read, I did not write it. That you wrote. (laughs) Um, That he was not expecting to have much of a career in Hollywood as an actor after the show. So he wanted to shift his focus to producing. And later on in the show's run, he finally convinced, because of Lucy's insistence, the network to give him a producer credit because he wanted to start building that avenue for himself. But one thing that I do find interesting is that there was not a lot of his Cuban heritage, if at all, really in the show. It's not something that was, you know, promoted like, oh, yes, you're Cuban and we are a mixed race couple and we have a mixed race child. Like it's you never see little Ricky learning anything about Cuban culture. 
you know like it was so glazed over that if he was not speaking with a heavy cuban accent you wouldn't even know necessarily that he was cuban i just respect him so much i mean i know he might not have been the best husband or partner to lucy at all times but as a business person he and just like you know the clips of interviews i read with him he just really met kind of the opposition that he felt because of his race in such a such a an amazing way like he never really seemed to let it get to him all that much it, in fact it bothered lucy more than it bothered him a lot of the time or at least that's how he made it seem but he also he really had an impact not only through the production company but he couldn't get into like a lot of country clubs or or things in hollywood in la and so he was hugely influential in developing the coachella valley and palm springs a lot of the buildings that he built like still stand in that area and he basically he couldn't get into these other places so he was like okay i'm just gonna build my own place to go Hmm. so i thought that that was kind of interesting i don't know i just i'm impressed by his mindset and just all of the weird little things he did to kind of stand up for himself or make a better world for himself despite the opposition that he sometimes felt it is unfortunate that his success despite being a minority really kind of feels like a fluke you know, it's because he was married to Lucy that he got this leading role on a television show. And it's because they sort of downplayed his race, probably, that it, because they didn't want to offend anyone, that he was able to have a still successful career after the show. Not as much in acting, but, you know, in producing and other ventures. So thinking about have we seen the story change? Certainly there's been so much progress made for people who aren't white in Hollywood. But I think for the longest time, even when we were adding more people of color or, you know, more diversity in any respect to television shows and to movies, it was sort of done more as tokenism than as wanting to actually portray their real stories. I don't get any sense from the pieces of I Love Lucy that I remember that anyone was really trying to present a true cuban american story i think it's taken a long time to get to the point where we are focusing more on representing cultures rather than representing skin tones Mm -hmm. but it does feel to me like in the past maybe five years or so we've really started to see more of that shift i think of shows like rami that is presenting a really authentic muslim american experience i think of shows like insecure that are presenting a very real authentic black experience so it feels like the tide might be starting to turn but there's still a lot of turning to do yeah i think that i can agree with that well i guess the big question to ask after covering everything that we have is is it the greatest television show of all time because it's almost always ranked at the top or number two on lists of the best television shows of all time? This is such a hard question. So I will state clearly that all art, including television, is subjective and therefore 
it is impossible to say that one piece of art is better than another piece of art, or one piece of art is the best or the greatest. That said, I Love Lucy is probably the greatest TV show of all time, right? <laughs> because it just because of the way that it changed everything. If it's if it's not I Love Lucy, then what is it, you know? Well, I mean, my personal opinion of what show could I watch the most, it's not I Love Lucy. But in terms of the impact that it had in the way that it's still watched all the time 70 years later, like how many other shows will be watched 70 years after they're after they debuted like that you're talking such a small number of shows that hold up in any way longer than a few decades we need more time to reflect you know and let more television be created before anything can definitively be named as the greatest but just looking at the relatively short history of television and looking at the progress that that show made for the medium nothing else touches it It's true. And when I try to think of anything, like when you just said, you know, what on the air, I think you said, what on the air today are we going to be watching in 70 years from now? My immediate thought is nothing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because, you know, there were shows like Game of Thrones, which were hugely popular and culturally relevant. But 70 years from now, looking at those effects, it's going to be impossible to watch i mean they could like remaster it or redo like special effects but if anything if any show will be relevant 70 years from now or still be watched in reruns i think it it could be something like a seinfeld or a comedy of some kind but yeah i mean in terms of greatest of all time it it i guess it just has to be at this point because it innovated the format it innovated the technology it still resonates it's still watched it's still emulated so yeah maybe it's the greatest of all time i can't think of any alternative i feel like we should wrap this up because we have been talking for a long time (laughs) yeah this ended up being a very long conversation don't know how much of it got cut out because we kept stammering and uh, having some false starts but hopefully we were able to edit all of those out so you the audience (laughs) didn't notice well i will be trying my best Uh. uh well thank you guys for listening go ahead and follow us on instagram at televisionary podcast if you have any questions comments or concerns feel free to message us on there and if you have any ideas for shows that we should talk about in the future let us know we are always open to new ideas i mean we've got a gigantic list of our shows that we've thought of ourselves but if there is a show that you feel has been particularly revolutionary particularly impactful or transformative for the cultural landscape for the medium of television for a particular demographic of people we would love to hear about it because we might love to talk about it all right well, thanks for listening. <laughs> it that sounds the... like you weren't actually on board with my request for suggestions, Elena. I mean, I'm always open to suggestions. Just because we are getting suggestions does not mean we're going to take them. We are not the request-only band at some dive bar in Austin that's playing every song that people want to hear just because they asked for it. Uh, Well, uh, I will try to be (laughs) open-minded. 
Okay, that's all I ask of you. <laughs> all right, I am Elena Hillard. And I am Cody Hoffman. Thank you so much for listening, and don't forget, you are special. <laughs> you are special, you are loved. <laughs> okay, <Bye>. goodbye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Televisionary. If you like what you heard, share this episode with a friend. You can follow us on Instagram at Televisionary Podcast, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. Bye!